Apache Superset is an open-source, fast, lightweight, and modern data exploration and visualization platform. It can connect to any SQL-based data source through SQL Alchemy at petabyte scale. Its architecture is highly scalable, and it ships with a wide variety of visualizations. The company Preset provides a powerful, easy-to-use data exploration and visualization platform powered by Apache Superset. Preset enables team members with some to no program experience to build interactive visualizations and dashboards with a no-code visualization builder and SQL editor. It works directly on top of popular cloud data warehouses and leading SQL engines. Preset delivers all the data visualization power of Apache Superset through their complete, easy-to-consume, enterprise-ready platform. In this episode, we talk with Srini Kadamati, Senior Data Scientist and Developer Advocate at Preset. He previously worked at DataQuest and at Radius Data Intelligence before that. He's also a committer to Superset. We talk about data visualization, the power of big data, and Preset. A few announcements before we get started. One, if you like Clubhouse, subscribe to the Club for Software Daily on Clubhouse. It's just Software Daily. And we'll be doing some interesting Clubhouse sessions within the next few weeks. Uh, And two, if you are looking for a job, we are hiring a variety of roles. We're looking for a social media manager. We're looking for a graphic designer. And we're looking for writers. If you are interested in contributing content to Software Engineering Daily, or even if you're a podcaster and you're curious about how to get involved We are looking for people with interesting backgrounds who can contribute to Software Engineering Daily. Uh, Again, mostly we're looking for social media help and design help, but if you're a writer or a podcaster, we'd also love to hear from you. You can send me an email with your resume, jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. That's jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. Srini, welcome back to the show. Hey, Jeff. Great to be here. The last time we spoke on the show, I think we were talking about data science. You have a background in data science. You've done a lot of work in data science. And now you're working more on the front end, the business intelligence layer. Tell me about the modern state of the business intelligence layer and how that relates to the data science or business analyst layer. Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's definitely going through some interesting changes. So I, I generally think of, of BI as kind of focused on end users. So people who are trying to get value out of data. One of the one of the ways to get value out of data is through charts and dashboards, especially if you're busy. And so that's kind of how I would differentiate the BI layer from more traditional data science tools where people may be doing kind of complex things in Python or Spark. They're doing really complicated data processing, machine learning, building machine learning models, and that the consumer of those types of products and interfaces are, uh, you know, other code, backend systems, that type of thing. So I think BI ultimately is kind of the, the front end end user realization of data science. And I think that's kind of the, yeah, that's, that's really interesting part. And the reason why I transitioned into it is so the last time I came on the show to talk about DataQuest, uh, and I was talking about teaching people data science tools, and that was a good learning experience for me. Ultimately, I decided that I also wanted to make the data tools themselves better and more accessible. And I think BI is kind of one of the most interesting areas right now in terms of accessibility for data, allowing really everyone in an organization to play with data. 
Give me some of the example applications of business intelligence that are common to an organization today. Yeah, so right now it it seems like it's it's growing like crazy every time kind of I work with an organization. So really, I think all jobs now are becoming data jobs. So you're seeing sales teams uh, where they're trying to understand and optimize their own processes and throughput, trying to understand how to close deals better. They're using data. They're using BI. So definitely, I think sales is, is kind of a very common area now that we're seeing. You won't really find a modern sales team anymore that isn't that isn't kind of aggressively looking at dashboards and using that sales managers themselves using it to try to understand where things can be better optimized. It's definitely dominated marketing. So where do you invest your your marketing dollars? How do you kind of try to make sense of things that are hard to measure? It's really hard to measure things more in brand advertising, but there are other things that are that are easier to measure and and really BI is used heavily by marketing teams there, whether it's paid advertising, whether it's more organic things. You know, at Preset, we use we have our own internal marketing dashboards. We have a pretty small marketing outfit, I would say. But even us, like we're able to f- use that data to understand uh, where to invest more of our time and energy into, whether it's doing more events and webinars or writing more blog posts. So I think that that's been cool to see to that, that, you know, BI and data in general is spreading to more teams in an organization. Uh, definitely product. So like, product, I think the most classic example here is the product funnel, right from when user discovers the product to getting to some form of user activation. And I know when I was in my last company, there was something, you know, we use data heavily to try to understand and iterate on our funnel as a way to kind of improve conversion and better understand our value proposition. So those are three examples. And I do know that even nowadays, executives from really all teams, uh, all business units are, they're looking at dashboards. You know, people are are using dashboards in meetings. They're using it for OKR reviews. So it's really kind of just become this great indicator of progress uh, towards the eventual outcome that, that each team is trying to hit. Preset is a fairly new company, and the well, you know one of the driving factors of of the genesis of the company is open source business intelligence. That said, open source in and of itself is not enough to make a company successful. I guess part of my thesis on on why Preset is is successful is is really the the revolution of of React on the front end and just better front end practices in general. But I'd love to know why why you think there's room for a newer BI company when we've had the Tableaus and the whatever micro strategy or whatever the other legacy bi tools are out there yeah absolutely it's a great great question i think ultimately it comes down to really if you go back to the original story for why max Buchanan started superset he was using tableau he was at airbnb he was at a a really mature large-scale data platform team and they wanted to play around with druid and presto and trino they wanted to kind of uh, have their BI tool work with their modern data stack. And at that time, Tableau just didn't support those new data tools. And so they were kind of just stuck and they had to kind of data platform speed is, was in many ways bottlenecked by their BI speed. Because uh, eventually, you know, this data was going to feed into charts and dashboards that the proverbial teams that I mentioned earlier were going to consume. So that's kind of why Mac started working on Superset originally at a hackathon 
was he really wanted to focus on let's use open source components for the entire application. You know, again, he'd worked at Airbnb, Facebook, Ubisoft. He saw kind of web scale technologies and how they could really cheaply and efficiently deliver value to millions, billions of users. And so, and he just saw that compared to the BI space where people were still trying to sell you like cost per core and clusters and, you know, like Tableau is based on Windows. So you have to run like Windows servers. And it's just a very different model than where the rest of kind of the, the web stack and, and just the modern data stack in general has moved. And so I think you're, you're absolutely right that React and, and TypeScript, which are both kind of key choices that were made early on, and those paid off really well and continue to pay off. But even on the back end, you know, we're using Python in the SuperSec community. We're even, we've even embraced you know, type hinting, which is like a new Python feature to, to help with scalable uh, Python code, especially complex code bases. And we, we bet heavily in the community on SQL Alchemy. Uh, in fact, just, just this week, I gave a talk on how we use SQL Alchemy to support hundreds of databases. And so by focusing on these open standards and frameworks that aren't really going away, so even if you, there's a new database company started every two weeks, it feels like, and uh, shortly after their funding announcement or, or whatever, you'll see that they'll, they'll quickly announce a SQL Alchemy driver, which means that it's a pretty short path to supporting all the features in Superset. So I think you know, open source ultimately gives us and gives end users that want to use cutting edge features just a lot more speed. And we're even seeing some really interesting use cases where people are taking superset uh, which kind of started out as a more traditional bi tool in terms of the user interface and they're using it in all kinds of interesting and new ways that we didn't even you know the original contributors didn't think about uh, like embedded has become a big use case for superset that's that's being pushed by the community where you're taking charts that people are creating end users are creating and then embedding those charts and dashboards in other applications and so there's just all these kind of great remixability and extensibility benefits that you get in open source and and the benefits of network effects. Again, by betting on these open standards, you know that as your data stack evolves and changes, your BI layer will also kind of just keep up with that. You're not waiting for a vendor to hopefully support and update it, uh, update their functionality one day. You touched on some of the pieces of the stack there. Can you just dive a little bit deeper into the macro view of the preset stack. Yeah, so just to kind of clarify here, so we there's so preset is basically offering a cloud hosted version of superset, but it's really we're kind of offering as a service the same thing that's in core superset that's really available to everyone. And what's interesting about that is that's kind of another advantage of open source even on the business side is we're able to kind of when we speak to people, they're, they've heard of Superset. They may even have teams um, in their organization that are using Superset. So that's kind of really interesting for us from like a business and, and a cloud-hosted standpoint. In terms of the architecture, you know, we're running Python in the, in the back end, and it's based heavily around a framework called Flask App Builder, which is kind of a way to quickly bootstrap a lot of the back-end routes uh, that you'll, you'll see in common web applications. On the front end, we have React and TypeScript, and even even there, we're trying to innovate and, and pick the, the latest and greatest. So we just kind of, the community just announced a few months ago that we're really betting on Apache eCharts. So another kind of uh, Viz framework, because Superset was originally based on NVD3, which is a layer on top of the D3 that everyone has come to know. 
that gave Supercell a little bit more, like callbacks and stuff like that that NVD3 offered that the project needed. But now we're able to kind of move to Apache eCharts and get uh, much higher performance. And if you go to their website, which I encourage everyone here to do, they have a beautiful kind of large gallery of amazing charts. And those can all be brought into Superset. And so that's kind of an important bet that the community is making. And they'll be really interesting to see where that goes. You know, we got a Helm chart in the repo. So there's we, we've spoken to many organizations, really large ones, in fact, that are running Superset at scale, and it just kind of works as another part of their Kubernetes stack that they're already deploying. Uh, sometimes we spoke to organizations that are still using bare metal all the way to private cloud, being able to deploy Superset since it's kind of always been built in mind for being cloud native, and there's a Docker image that's kind of constantly updated. So those are kind of the main, those are the main components. As I mentioned on the back end, we're using SQL Alchemy to connect into the different databases and even data-like engines out there. Um, so things like Dremio and, and Trino and Presto that you don't classically think of as databases. Um, so those are kind of the main components. You might not be the best person to ask about this, but I'm going to ask anyway. The evolution of the data infrastructure world. Uh, so you have various large platform companies that have been built in the last uh, five years. You know, you have Confluent built around the Kafka ecosystem now with, with KSQL and all the other tooling they've built around that. You have the Spark ecosystem telling a story of a unified data lake and data warehouse with the uh, the Delta Lake House concept. You have Snowflake just telling the story of throw everything in the Snowflake data warehouse and, and will be your unified data lake data warehouse tiered storage system. I realize you're more on the BI layer, but do you have a perspective for the preferred data infrastructure strategy of the average company or the you know the, the most cutting edge companies these days and how that's been changing? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, like I, I've spoken to teams and organizations that, that are really running all of those architectures. And so it really kind of depends on on the goals here. So obviously kind of Delta Lake is, is very focused kind of more around Spark and Databricks. Um, you have Kafka with real-time data. And so that there's kind of, and then you, you still have Snowflake and, and these kind of modern data warehouses are still kind of very popular. And so and, and I would say in these cutting edge startups where you see kind of really crazy growth, there's been this emerging, it's being kind of dubbed the modern data stack. And, you know, people kind of argue over you know, what technically is in it. Does it have to be all open source? You know, um, do you put five trend in there? Like Snowflake's not technically open source, right? Um, I think ultimately what people, there's kind of a few common components. So one is definitely kind of the focus on being able to understand higher data flows throughout the entire system. Um, and so whether you're using open source or or not, um, having kind of a lot of like data security and privacy controls over your data has kind of been a big emerging theme, especially with kind of ongoing data privacy regulations that you're seeing prop up everywhere. Uh, two, you're seeing some tools just absolutely come in and, and set themselves as a standard. So you have tools like DBT, which is trying to kind of become the universal standard for building models and, and running those uh, models um, inside of your database or data warehouse. And then for data warehouses, you know, you're, you're seeing everything. Like I'm speaking to teams that are using Snowflake. There's still people on Redshift. 
BigQuery, you know, BigQuery and, and Snowflake are kind of the two of the most popular ones that, that I've been seeing, although it is a little bit of a biased sample. And now you're even seeing kind of other parts of the stack emerge and become kind of sexy again. So you have like data observability has become a big theme. So speaking to the earlier theme of like really knowing how your data is moving around and really knowing for a fact that it did move the way that you thought your code worked. And and even you have reverse ETLs, kind of four or five startups in this reverse ETL space where you're processing data in your warehouse and sending it back to Mixpanel, HubSpot, MailChimp, kind of your third-party SaaS tools um, that want to consume data that you're processing. So yeah, there's, you know, and then as you move up to larger organizations, they're kind of traditionally, you know, they embrace some of the kind of data lake concepts. Uh, Sometimes the the use case and the data format is also really important. Um, So if you're working with non-relational data, like geospatial genomic data, right, like this modern data stack for startups that I just described, it's just generally not as good of a fit. It's just not really optimized for for that, so there's there's startups there that are doing interesting work, uh, like TileDB, for example, and then more established players, of course, like Databricks uh, and Kafka, both in those spaces. And yeah, and I think like the third part again to like kind of go back to our early discussion, right? There's there's still kind of this interesting gap between. I think the the terms are starting to shake up a little bit more, but you're seeing kind of more separation between kind of data science and analytics. Analytics is kind of usually a little bit more focused on end users, this kind of excitement around empowering everyone in an organization to write SQL, write DBT models, kind of self-serve to some degree. And then you're seeing more specialization in data science where you have a lot of still kind of PhD types doing really complex modeling. And they they love these kind of uh, more traditional tools like for large-scale data processing, whether it's Spark or Kafka or kind of putting data in data lakes and so it, it really kind of depends on on the goals and, and what you're optimizing for. But these are kind of the general trends that I've seen. Do these trends that you've described, do they have any relationship to the BI layer or, or like maybe the the fact that all this infrastructure has been built out in the middleware in the, the lower end of the stack makes it easier for data availability on the front end? Like, you know, whatever, 10, 15 years ago, we just had Hadoop to get this this kind of layer, this kind of data to the front end. Now we just have all this infrastructure and it's so much easier to get data basically because of all these things like reverse ETL and DBT and so on, just making things smoother. Yeah, I think having more options has a lot of benefits. So I think you're absolutely right. Like early on, if you wanted to manage large data sets and like you were just stuck in that Hadoop world and I think, you know, you had Spark come out later and it's just in general, things are kind of moving because of just how low cost both compute and storage have become. Just the the demands of these kind of kind of older school, highly expensive frameworks are kind of slowly disappearing, I would say. And you can kind of move a lot more quickly and dare I say agile. And so I think what's great there is that there's a little bit less risk when you're making investments. So the, the stack, when you're a small team, as a startup of just, you know, you may just have one full-time data person even. Um, the stack you can do there will be very different than as you kind of scale. And it's just much easier now to move between the different options, both because I think of open source and because of standards. And just in general, there's just been, people are kind of wary of lock-in in general. And so there's just been a lot more options that have has spurred. What that means for BI, though, 
the ultimate thing is people keep trying to replace SQL. Uh, you know, they want they want some replacement for SQL, but you know, like ultimately, that seems to be the thing that just it, it won't go away. People, even if you're building a new database company and it's amazing and it has all these performance guarantees and and cool buzzwords, you're almost surely still still having a SQL interface because there's this great kind of network effect and ecosystem that's been built. SQL Alchemy, as I mentioned earlier, is kind of a key part of this, especially for us. It's superset uh, the superset community. So I think what's exciting is that even as you have all of these uh, lower costs, still high performant, large data solutions and and kind of almost an unbundling that's been going on there, where maybe in the past you would do everything in Spark or Hadoop. Now you have an entire tool just for ETL, for example, or ELT as it's called nowadays. And so I think that what that really means, though, is ultimately um, you can use the tools that you really like for the heavy data lifting. And then as long as it's kind of going into a place that can interface with interface through the SQL language for the BI layer, and all the players in, in the space that we're in, it's great because it means that more organizations are are embracing data and they're able to get on board and use and remix components in the back end. And then for the BI players, still speak in SQL. And so that's it's still kind of a great thing for us there. So coming back to preset itself or superset, obviously there's the opportunity to just build yet another BI tool and make it open source. That's definitely definitely an opportunity. Is there opportunities for reimagining BI or, or building something completely new? In what ways have has Preset just done things that are completely different or differentiated from the closed source competitors? Yeah, absolutely. I'll say that there's a few things that are... I don't think they're crazy, but I think they're kind of hints at the future. So one one thing that Superset has always had is an amazing API for people to work with. And this means you can you can version charts and dashboards and, and kind of uh, manage and talk to the BI layer with code, which is like really powerful. There's, there's only, I think, one closed source BI vendor that has that. And it's, it's very limited uh, in what you can do. And so I think, and yeah, so because it's open source, because it's kind of built like kind of by this great grassroots open source community, uh, there's been a big push to open up the API even more, document it better and stuff like that. And I think that's that's a really powerful thing because that just means that it's, it's going to lower the barrier even more. It'll allow more kind of dynamic chart creation um, with code that can still end up kind of powering uh, the BI layer. Because usually when you think of BI, you think, oh, it's end users, it's humans creating charts and dashboards. But then now if you think about a world where you have uh, this BI front end mixing charts created by machines and by humans, um, that's really unique. And I think that's something that Superset and you know potentially other, you know, there are other open source BI players as well. Uh, if they have APIs, then I think we're all well positioned to to, to take advantage of that. Um, two, I think another big thing is because, again, of the open source core of Superset, it's, we're able to kind of experiment with and really extend features that were done by existing BI vendors, but in very limited ways. So as I mentioned earlier, embedded, embedded analytics, embedded BI. Um, I think the new buzzword is actually headless BI has kind of been the term that's been 
coming up. So using code or and kind of or, or an end user interface to create charts and dashboards, but then publishing that to the edges, you know, inside of the, your application. You can imagine Slack.com slash analytics or the analytics page of Stripe not being written by a kind of complicated web stack, but instead just written by data analysts in a BI tool like Superset and just pushed to the analytics part of the product, which is kind of really powerful. And I think it's, it's bringing BI to even more places than you know, originally were, were thought of. I think the last thing, and this is not something I would say this, that's currently easy to do in the Superset project, but it's one that I'm personally very excited about, is being able to actually version control charts and dashboards. And that's definitely going to be kind of, again, enabled by the API and the open nature of Superset. And I think this is kind of what DBT nailed in many ways, is because in my last company, we had this problem. We used to write SQL queries in our BI tool, and then literally put them in Git, push them up to GitHub, and try to review and collaborate there. And it was, as you can imagine, just a total disaster. And we just eventually stopped doing it. And so I think if we're able to bring that idea into the BI layer, that's really, I think, compelling. And if you really think about it, like the modern data stack in many ways, it's really bringing over all these ideas from software engineering and DevOps and web scale that have been battle tested and, and have been kind of proven to be the right way to do things and bringing them over to the data stack. DBT is kind of Git for your data transform models. And, you know, data observability is like observability for your cloud infrastructure, except for your data pipelines. And so when you kind of frame it that way, you know, the BI layer has just always been 10, 20 years behind, uh, you know, closed source, proprietary you know, Windows-based, these like giant two gigabyte applications you open on your computer. And I think I'm excited to see how we can bring some of the ideas from software engineering, like versioning charts, like versioning dashboards into the BI layer um, and encourage those good, good hygiene and good habits into the BI layer itself. As you're going to market, do you see people throwing out their old BI tools and replacing them with Superset, or do they just add Superset to their stack and just complement their existing dashboards? We've seen a mix of both, but I'll say it's heavily biased towards the former. I think essentially there's there's two types of organizations generally. There's there's organizations where let's say you have a thousand people and you want to enable maybe twenty or fifty of those people to have the ability to create charts and create dashboards. And then the rest of the organization will consume those. And I think for that, you know, like the existing BI vendors like Tableau and Power BI do have somewhat favorable pricing and licensing there where a viewer tier is much cheaper than the creator tier, significantly cheaper. But I think if you want to actually spread BI and data science thinking and turn every team into a data team, which is kind of our informal motto at Preset, that you can't have these tiering of users. And that's something we we deeply believe in. We want to kind of offer an alternative that actually is is much closer to the viewer tier in terms of pricing, but actually gets you the creator uh, functionality. So there's no there's no tiering. Everyone has the same permissions, um, unless you're kind of, you know, unless your admin kind of restricts your 
permissions. But we, we really believe in the idea that everyone should be creating charts, creating dashboards, and, and asking and answering their own questions. And so when we have a companies come approach us on the preset side, it's almost always that they have a mandate to spread this type of data literacy and data skills the entire company. But the licensing of the existing BI tools is just very cost prohibitive. Paying eighty to one hundred twenty dollars, you know, per user per month for a thousand people is a lot of money, and so I think that's really where our opportunity is at Preset. What have you learned about how companies that are really successful with their business intelligence teams, with their reporting teams, what have you learned about how they handle data? and how they handle reporting are there are there certain processes or practices or just ways of of organizing their dashboards or organizing their data that make them more successful yeah so i've seen a few different things i've seen organizations that are very sensitive about people making the wrong conclusions from data that they they lock everything down they you can only view things, view charts, view dashboards. They're not very dynamic. And I've seen also the very opposite, where they put guardrails in place and they they sincerely believe there's literal, there's actual buy-in from the leadership level that, hey, like this is an important thing for our organization. Like This needs to be in our hiring process. This needs to be in, in the tool access level as well, which is you know we actually want everyone in, in a company to have some level of data literacy. And I think... Again, as I mentioned for preset, we're especially interested in the latter type of organization. And I think if you're going to do that well, um, it's definitely non-trivial. I think the main thing you have to do is you still need a data team. You don't you don't throw those wonderful individuals away. But I think you really empower them to actually build the processes and the standards where they're able to create the the sources of truth, whether that's the database tables themselves, whether that's uh, views into the data or things like that. And I think you help them help the rest of the organization where basically you get this amazing comparative advantage where, you know, the salespeople, they know kind of more about the data in some ways and how to analyze it and how to like exclude things and clean it up. And so you want to empower them, but you also want to make sure that there's guardrails in place uh, that they're not, you know, misinterpreting the data or using the wrong, you know, tables or the wrong data sources um, to reach uh, the conclusions or to kind of power the charts and dashboards that they're hoping. So I think that's that's kind of a feature that I'm personally very excited about um, having a, a data team that is that is kind of creating products in many ways, internal data products, which could be sources of truth in terms of metadata and, and specific tables. It could be metrics so that everyone is understanding what revenue means in a very consistent way but then the rest of the organization is able to consume those data products and have the freedom and the creativity to use them and to kind of help basically improve their own problems solve their own problems and reach their own goals so that's kind of a future that i'm really excited about and that's something i think we're going to kind of advocate more as well on the preset side are there any particular challenges that the company has encountered in going to market, either on the engineering side or the sales and kind of business development side? Yeah, so the interesting caveat here is that, so Preset Cloud is still in beta. 
And so it's, it's, we're still in closed beta. You can go to the site, preset.io and sign up if, if, you know, people want to check it out. But we're kind of, you know, quickly marching towards GA, which we're hoping to do in the next two or three months, essentially. That's kind of our, our soft goal there. And so, yeah, I mean, the challenges we've had is that it's still like BI is a, it's, it's a very competitive space, right? So even Tableau, which was acquired, I think, 20 billion by, by Salesforce, you would think that, oh, well, anyway, at that, that valuation and whatnot, like that, that they would be 30 or 60% of the market, but they're not. I think they're only 10 or 12% of the BI market uh, when they were acquired. So it's not a classic winner-take-all market. And what that also means is that there's there's tons of there's tons of competition, there's tons of players, and uh, people expect a lot out of BI tools. Um, they expect it to to do everything that all of the existing vendors do at a lower price. Uh, and so I think for a company that's that's three years old and the superset project is a pro- is a little bit more than four years old, that's definitely a big challenge for us. That uh, I think we're gonna. We're going to have to shore up, and that's why I think differentiation is is really important for all startups, but especially for us as we try to compete and differentiate against the other BI players that are really trying to offer every single bell and whistle at kind of the same same price. So your role at the company is developer advocate. Is that is that right? Yep, that's right. There's been a real rise in developer advocacy in the last several years. Tell me about how you see the role of the developer advocate and how that plays into what you do at Preset. Yeah, developer advocacy is pretty it's pretty interesting and you know, you know, it's also kind of linked to this rise of the community strategy and community managers as well. I, I think it's super exciting because it's it's basically turning teaching into kind of an amazing grassroots motion uh, for growth. And so this, I think this is especially, you know, developer relations and developer advocacy for open source is especially interesting because you kind of, in many ways, it feels like not a real job sometimes. You don't kind of have a traditional sprint and kind of hardcore deadlines and traditional KPIs. Uh, And I think developer relations succeeds especially well in smaller companies when the goal is more on end user empowerment, growth, things like documentation, um, doing you know advocacy and uh, kind of really evangelizing interesting use cases for the tool as well. So I think the power of developer relations is really in education and community. So how do you bring people together who are looking to kind of accomplish similar set of goals um, and how do you just help them and just expect nothing in return because the second you start kind of asking for for things or you want to view it as a funnel exercise where you want to start looking at qualified leads or stuff like that then it's kind of become a a sales and marketing motion again so i think developer relations is exciting because it's kind of a way of just um, selfless helping and educating and community building and i think if you look at a lot of the popular tools and and software like that's that's kind of come just grown like super crazy quick i think a lot of it is because of community whether it's like things like figma or notion even chat applications like discord they have very powerful communities behind them and people like there's some developer relations of people i've met who actually have tattooed 
that uh, project onto their body. Like that's how much they believe in this kind of in part of in that community and the the ideas of that community. So I think it's very powerful uh, when done well. And yeah, I'm excited to see like more of it. Like I would love, I would love to go and participate in the community for, for all the tools that I love and, and use every day. It kind of builds great connections. You, you learn a lot about the tools and you get to use it in ways that you didn't think about. And uh, very indirectly, some small percentage of those people could end up being your customers. And I don't think that's really the goal. Again, um, you know, my goal, my MO in, at, at Preset is to grow the Superset project. And so I just evangelize it, advocate for it, and get people excited about open source Superset and, and not really concern myself too much with, with, you know, will they convert to Preset Cloud customers? So Superset is one of many companies in this lineage of an open source project that basically steals the thunder of some closed source, several closed source projects, closed source infrastructure projects. I wonder if you have any perspective on what domains this this works for. Like another recent one is is Airbyte, which is kind of the the open source five tran, which has uh, been gaining a lot of steam. But I wonder if if there are domains for which this does not work. Like one company I saw recently was like an open source intercom, basically, and, and intercom the uh, the customer messaging tool. And and I was thinking like that's 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 kind of interesting. Like, but does it does it make sense for there to be an open source intercom? Does that actually matter? Do people actually care that much? So do you do you have a perspective on for what domains the open source version of X? actually makes sense or people actually care about that yeah it's i mean even for superset right like we're an end user tool it's a bi tool and we have to have designers involved in the project and product managers if we really want to build a world-class bi tool and um, it's definitely not easy right even like the traditional collaboration mechanisms of github and leaving like opening github issues it's just very software engineering centric and so I think that, that definitely, I think that we, you know, we do suffer from some challenges there, but I think in general, like, I think it comes down to like, why open source? So, you know, there's open source versions of every popular closed source SaaS product. You know, there's open source Notion projects, there's open, there's tons of open source Slack projects. I remember like 10 of them launched, uh, with, you know, within like a few months of Slack becoming super popular. And I think it's kind of it's somewhat, they've been a little bit hit and miss, hit or miss. But I think the ones that have succeeded uh, have ex- have succeeded in use cases that the existing closed source vendors cannot do. And I think the most obvious one here is just companies with really strict infrastructure and data privacy requirements. So if you need a certain you know compliance or you know I spoke to one nonprofit a few months ago that. They ran everything on bare metal. They were excited about Superset, but you know they were like never going to use Preset Cloud, for example, because they're not even in the cloud. Um, they're on, still on bare metal. So in that case, you know they may not want to use Slack. Like that type of organization may want to use Zulip Chat or or Mattermost or some other alternative. So I think the most obvious reason for open source is just you just have your own constraints that just does, is not well supported by the cloud and the kind of uh, requirements there. Or there's something about extensibility and customization that you want to be able 
to do that you can't. So, you know, as it relates to superset, you know, with traditional BI tools, if you want to add a new chart type, you're usually just kind of out of luck. Some tools will let you kind of write some JavaScript code if, you know, you happen to be a data analyst that knows <laughs> JavaScript um, and you can you can do that um, that way. But most tools are just kind of out of luck. And I think, yeah, if you're able to, you know, but in Superset, you're able to bring your own chart types. Um, you can extend Superset to work with, you know, you could have built a database inside of your company, which I know some companies do, and you can add your own kind of support for that. And I think, so I think that's kind of an important thing as well, is if there's kind of something about the extensibility you want to be able to do, you want it to kind of more tightly integrate with the rest of your software stack, I think that's another reason to do open source. But I think those are kind of the two biggest reasons. I think outside of that, like open source, it, you know, it, it is a challenge. And I think even some of these, even like Mattermost and Zulip, you know, these popular Slack alternatives, they, they offer a cloud-hosted version. And so then that kind of, you know, I'm sure that's probably one of their biggest revenue drivers again. And so at that point, maybe people just prefer the interface or something different about it. But then they're, again, much closer to Slack. So I think that's kind of a, that's kind of a question for these open source projects to, to think about is like, there are people who care about open source for the sake of it, just because it feels safer or feels more under control. There's people who actually want more extensibility. But I think you have to think about the open source version of a closed source product as its own product. So it has to compete in some ways. And if it can't do that, then I think that, you know, that project will likely, will hope, I don't, I don't think it will succeed as a business, but it might be okay as like a, as a kind of volunteer-led open source project. As we begin to wrap up, I'd like to get your perspective on what's in the near future for the company. So I assume Preset Cloud is a big focus of the organization. What comes next? Are there are there other like BI features that need to be built or you know integrations that need to be built? What's in the the near term like, you know, I don't know, 5 year scope of the company that needs to be built out? Yeah, so I, our biggest push right now and focus for the entire company is Preset Cloud GA. So as I mentioned earlier, we're currently in closed beta. So getting to general availability and having kind of understanding what the technical constraints and uh, guarantees we need there are in terms of reliability and then also support, scaling up support, scaling up sales. So on the Preset Cloud side, you know, for the next few years, Preset Cloud is going to be a great superset experience. You know, we'll have single sign-on, RBAC, all the kind of enterprise features you expect, but it will mostly be the same superset that people um, are, are used to working with. And I think on the superset side, you know, majority of the code that we still ship at Preset goes to the open source project. In fact, I think it's still 80 or 90%. And that's kind of still our crown jewel is the superset project. And over there, you know, there are going to be a lot of interesting developments. Like, as I mentioned, there's the big push to move to e-charts, so just supporting a larger variety of visualizations. And, and again, because they're open source, we can experiment with, like, having a marketplace of visualizations or just even kind of this, this kind of visualization, a plug-in pack where people can publish and maybe even build entire businesses off of types of specific plugins. So there, there's a lot on the superset side there. 
And yeah, but actually to, to circle back to preset cloud, I mean, there's a lot of interesting things that I would like to see personally as a, as kind of a data scientist and, and data geek. So I'm a big notebooks person. So uh, I think there's definitely a chance that we kind of explore adding notebooks support into the preset cloud platform. I think that would be, that would really cater to every single persona because right now in superset, we have a no code chart builder there's sql lab for people who are more savvy with sql but there isn't a way for python and r geeks like myself or julia geeks who want to get their hands dirty and and do more arbitrary data processing analysis and visualization so i think adding notebooks will really kind of complete the platform and i think will make it super compelling i have some pet projects of my own that i've been pushing for as well Uh, we're really excited about trying out the idea of instant dashboards. So you can imagine uh, having just pointing to a data source like Mixpanel or Salesforce, and then just you know telling us where your database is, or maybe we can offer a temporary cloud-hosted database for you. And then we just for people who who kind of aren't integrated into the data platform and the data platform team in your company, you know they have API keys for these third-party tools. It'd be really cool to just have the dashboards, have some default set of dashboards just magically appear and not really have to worry too much about how the data was moved around and how it was transformed and and all that. So those are kind of like two examples of what we call like interesting bets that, you know, we'd like to do and we've kind of started to think a little bit more about. Cool. Well, anything else you want to add about preset or BI or data infrastructure? Any interesting thoughts that we haven't explored? The biggest thing I encourage everyone who's listening to think about is uh, is really kind of read up on this modern data stack that's been that's been emerging. It's it's super exciting, and I think it's it's going to be a really big wave in software. And I think it's yeah, we're still just seeing the foundational parts of this. So we're seeing kind of a lot more open source proliferate every part of the data stack, and just and yeah, just like let's bring over more principles from software engineering into the data world. And it's really unfortunate because I'm a data person first and kind of a software person second. So I'm super excited about this, this, these wave of technologies. And I think every month I'm seeing cool new, you know, open source projects and startups being, being started and funded to modernize the data stack. So I encourage everyone to, who's excited about these ideas to kind of join that movement. Obviously, if you're interested in Superset, I encourage you to join the community there as well might get a hello from me as I kind of hang out in in that community slack a lot and yeah just kind of be a part of this movement that's that's been happening around the modern data stack okay great well Srini thanks for coming back on the show it's been a real pleasure thanks for having me Jeff this was fun